Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Dr. Jennings recently wrote a blog that caught my eye. Here's the title. When praising Jesus hinders his work. What? I thought that praising Jesus was an important part of his work. Let's find out what the good doctor is trying to teach us. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries, and Dr. Jennings joins us via Skype. Okay, explain yourself, sir. How can praising Jesus hinder his work? I'm going to break down three types of people, and it's the third group that we're going to be talking about today. Okay. Just to be clear, so people don't confuse that we're thinking about two other groups. We're not. We're not talking about the people who reject Christ and, and don't let the Holy Spirit in their heart and are just actually working against him. We're not talking about those people. And we're not talking about the people Jesus spoke about in Matthew 7, 21, that said, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We prophesied in your name. We performed miracles in your name. And he said, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. We know that, that in the church that there are unconverted who have a external form of religiosity, but their hearts aren't right with God. We're not talking about those people. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about are the ones who are actually right with God. They've been converted. They love him. Their motive is right. They are not rebelling against him, yet their actions in praising him to others are hindering his work. And we find this story in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus heals a man of leprosy. And after he heals the man of leprosy, Jesus says to him, this is Mark 1, starting in verse 43, and it says, Jesus sent him away with a strong warning. See that you do not tell anyone about this, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news as a result. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Hmm. So here we have a man who didn't just get healed from leprosy. You understand the context when Jesus lived. If somebody had leprosy, this was akin to being condemned and cursed of God, because leprosy was symbolic in their culture of sin, and these people just didn't have a disease. They were expelled from the community. They couldn't participate in worship service. They had to shout unclean, unclean wherever they went, and they were considered the lowest of the low in society, completely cursed of God. In curing him, Jesus not just cures a physical malady, he says to him that you are freed from sin, you're healed from sin. And this converted this person. This person gave his heart to Jesus. And now this person healed and cured of this deadly disease, restored to community. Jesus says, don't go and broadcast this about. Keep it quiet. Don't tell people. But instead, what does the person do? He begins going about and broadcasting, telling everyone. Why did he begin telling everyone? And what is the problem with that? And what was the consequence to that? The consequence was it hindered Jesus' work. It hindered Jesus' work. Jesus had to stay out of the cities. Jesus could not continue advancing the gospel because mobs were coming simply for miraculous healings uh, to get physically healed, and his ability to preach what he came to preach was restricted for a while, and he had to stay out in the wilderness and the lonely places. That doesn't make sense, Dr. Jennings. That I, I'm thinking about the guy that was, that was healed of leprosy. 
I don't know if I could keep quiet if I was suddenly able to go back into society, if I could suddenly go back home to be with my wife and children, if I could look at my skin and it was pink instead of rotting. I would want to tell people, Dr. Jennings, how in the world could you not want to tell people that? And that exposes the big struggle, okay, between choosing to follow our own emotions, even when those emotions are overfilled with joy and love for Jesus, versus following the direct instructions of Jesus himself. My, my. So did Jesus give this man specific instructions? Yes. Yes, yes he did. Did this man have righteous emotions of love and joy and, and happiness and, and celebration and praise and adoration of Jesus? Did he have righteous emotions? Absolutely. Yes, he did. Yes. Was he wrong to have a desire to want to tell people? No, no. He was not wrong for having the desire to want to tell people. But was he wrong for choosing to trust his own judgment and desire over a specific direction to him personally by Jesus. There you go. There you go. Okay? And so Jesus understood the landscape of the community. Jesus understood his own mission and purpose. This man understood his experience. He understood his joy. He understood his love. He understood his love for Jesus. Uh, he interpreted Jesus as just being too humble and too meek to take any attention to himself. Uh, and that's gracious and wonderful and good. Uh, and so with his narrow view of reality, he thought he knew better than Jesus on how to handle the circumstance. And his feelings were not wrong. His celebration and joy was not wrong, but he allowed it to overwhelm him to the point he discounted the specific instructions of Jesus when Jesus was taking into account many other variables of the reality of the landscape and his own personal mission and what he was here to achieve that the healed leper did not take into account. And thus, it hindered Jesus' ability to do the work that he wanted to do by broadcasting this broadly. Now, this is not the only place you can see this type of construct or conflict. This idea of having strong emotions overwhelm us to do good for the Lord that interferes with the Lord's instruction for our life. Many people will have the same experience of having an epiphany of grace, having a an experience with the Lord that lifts their spirit. And in that powerful, positive celebration of God, wanting to launch into some ministry for the Lord, which is a righteous ministry in its own right, but it is not what the Lord has called that individual to do. Example, David wanting to build the temple. Yeah. David's desire was based out of love and adoration and affection, but what did he do? He ended up running ahead of the Lord into projects that the Lord did not call David to fulfill. How many Christians, because of powerful emotions and affection and adoration for the Lord, can sometimes do what we call run ahead of the Lord, begin projects or programs that the Lord has not yet called them to do, or it is not the right time to initiate, and it doesn't work out well. I see that a lot, Dr. Jennings. Being in media, I see a lot of people who have this transforming experience in their lives, and they, they immediately start a ministry, and they go around, and they try to get people to, to listen to them, and they make materials for them to listen to. But I guess what I hear you saying, and, and, and I, I'm thinking when I think about these people that do these ministries, 
The Lord's not done with them. The Lord has healed them of X, but there's still Y and Z that needs to be addressed in their lives. Would I be right in saying that? Yes, and there's different levels of Christian maturity. Yeah. As we come to Christ, we're the newborn babe. And Paul says in Hebrews chapter 5, starting around verse 12, somewhere around there, that though you ought to be mature on spiritual meat, you're still on milk. And those who are on milk are not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness. These are converted. These are babes in Christ, but they don't really understand yet the teaching of righteousness. And therefore, they need to grow up into maturity before they're really equipped to go out and do the work the Lord called them for. But sometimes in their excitement, and think about how many of our own little children have rushed into the garden to help daddy weed weeds and end up pulling up the good plants. (laughs) I'm raising my hands on that. There's a story in my family about that. I did that. I did that very thing. So I'm raising my hand. With only a righteous heart. There's no sin in the child's heart. There's There's no rebellion, but it can hinder the work anyway without acts of evil because there's no evil intention here. There's there's only act of and motivation of love, but the immaturity can cause injury to the cause. And so the, the real challenge is not to run out ahead of the Lord, but with those good, run to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me? I'm so, I, I'm so on fire for you. And the Lord might say, what I want you to do is I want you to sit here. Hmm. I want you to study. I want you to learn to manage this. I want you to get this skill. Another example can be, Think about Martha. And when Jesus was at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home, she's running around because she loves Jesus. She wants to serve a meal for Jesus. And she's running around in all this busyness of life where Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And she complains, tell Mary to help me. I'm overwhelmed. And Jesus says to her, Mary has chosen the better. It's not that what you're doing is wrong, Martha. But you're frustrated and exhausted because you didn't come to me first and let me feed you the bread of life. You're just running around into business because you've got good heart, because you love me, because you want to minister. That's wonderful. But you're not taking time to let me nurture your soul first. You know, this information, what you just said on this program, Dr. Jennings, needs to be played to every college graduate at any of our Christian institutions, because many times we have our graduates leaving our beautiful schools and universities on fire for God, and bless their heart, I'm glad they are. But then they get discouraged when they can't go out there and change the world. They can't go out there and and make the Oscar-winning movie. They can't make the radio programs that they want to make. They can't write all the books they want to write that's in them. And there's nothing wrong with their desire. There's nothing wrong with their training. It's just that they're not done yet. God is not finished preparing them for the work. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I agree completely. That's part of just normal maturation and growth. When I did my medical school training, four years of medical school after four years of undergraduate college, that four years of medical school, I graduated and got a license to practice medicine, but I was not prepared 
to practice psychiatry. Yeah. I had four more years of residency that I had to do under the mentorship of board-certified psychiatrists and a, a rigorous training program that I had to do. And then coming out of that, I've continued to gain experience and study and grow and integrate. And, and I'm a much better psychiatrist today than I was the day I graduated. Sure. And it would have been a very stressful time had I just graduated medical school and gone out to practice on my own without any mentorship going on, no residency, no no faculty to help me in my own developmental journey. So yes, I was definitely passionate and excited. You can't know how excited I was to graduate medical school, but I was also very thankful I wasn't on my own. Yeah. That reminds me of what the examiners, when I took my flying, I was, I'm a pilot, and when I took my private and my commercial and my instrument and my instructor ratings, to a person, the examiner would say, okay, Charles, now I've now given you a license to learn. A license to learn. You're not done. You're just beginning to learn. And I like that because God wants to give us a license to learn. And sometimes he may say, you know, don't go out there and try to fly to the moon. Not yet. You've got to learn things. That's what I hear you saying, Dr. Jennings. That's exactly right. So how is it that praising the Lord can hinder the work of Jesus? It's when our euphoria, our love, our affection, our, our strong positive emotions for the Lord run ahead of him rather than following in the direction he would have us apply our energies for him. Mm, beautiful lesson learned here today, listener. I have some other lessons for you to learn at comeandreason.com. There's material there, and Dr. Jennings shared with me just moments ago that there's new material on the way, too. So this is a dynamic place with new sharing tracks and books and all kinds of magazine articles and blogs and television programs and podcasts happening at Come and Reason. As you continue your journey along that learning, that you hold those praises until you understand really who you're praising and what you're praising that God for. And then God will give you opportunity little by little to do just what you want to do in your heart. And that's good news for us all. Common Reason is the sponsor of this program. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. Listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>